Read the Bible every day so you'll be full of faith. Welcome you to join Bible Links to read the entire Bible in two years. I believe God will bless you, He will lift you up, and your life will never be the same. The following is the English translation of Pastor Moen Wu's teaching on the book of Leviticus chapters 20 to 21, translated by Bryson. Read the Bible every day so you will be full of faith. Let's take a look at Leviticus chapter 20 and chapter 21. We actually need to take a look at chapter 20 in the context of chapters 18 and 19. Chapters 18 and 19 talk about holy people, the rules and boundaries they are to follow, what is permissible and what is not. Chapter 20 is about carrying these out. So, when you read chapter 20, you'll see many instances of putting to death, cutting off, or stoning, which can be scary. But if we look at the whole of Leviticus from the beginning, starting from chapters 1 to 7, why do they talk about sacrifice? It's to redeem people from sin. Why does God call us to share in the glory of being priests? To share in the call to a purified kingdom? To share in the call to a pure life? It's all about living before God. So, God wants to make us righteous and He also wants to sanctify us. Therefore, chapters 18, 19, and 20 tell us that we need to know that He is the Lord. We need to know His heart. So, in the process of executing the death penalty in chapter 20, we should see God's absolute holiness from verse 1 to verse 5. The first thing God demands is the relationship between us and Him. So it says over here, if someone sacrifices any of his children to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. But didn't God say not to kill? Executing the death penalty is different from murder. God wants us to truly see sin and completely remove it from among us. So what does it mean to sacrifice children to Molech? As parents, we must be very careful. Today, we may not be involved in sacrificing to Molech, but do you know, sometimes we treat our children as our idols. We pursue worldly fame. We want our children to read this and that, learn this and excel in that, meaning they have to stand out. I teach my children in a threatening way, saying, If you don't study well, what will become of you in the future? You'll have no food to eat. You'll be begging in the streets. If you study well, achieve certain ranks, you will bring glory to our family. Do you see this? This is sacrificing our children to Molech. It's not worshiping God as the true God or teaching our children to fear and love God. Attending school and getting good grades is to glorify God. Entering into good careers, becoming leaders in the seven mountains, is for us to witness for God's glory. Our lives can become like priests, helping many people obtain God's salvation. So from verse 1 to verse 5, it tells us how to teach our children to be separated from the idols of this world. Be careful, because this is a sin that leads to death before God. Verses 4 and 5 remind us that if someone nearby does this and we pretend not to see it, and we do not take action to stop it, we are also participating in this sin. Sin is contagious. Sometimes in a family within the church, they have this idea, and we envy them for their children's achievements. Attending good schools, finding good jobs, we begin to envy these achievements in the world. How do you do it? How do you speak? How do you lead? Teach us how. So, then churches will sometimes invite speakers who are recognized in the world to hold discussions on how to teach our children how to invest and manage finances and how to maintain good marriages. This is not bad, but we need to understand what the kingdom of God is, what worldly teachings are, and what it means to dedicate our children to God. What does it mean to sacrifice children to Molech? What does it mean when others around us do the same? If we turn a blind eye, God says the person must be put to death. 
This is all about showing that sin isn't just between me and God. I also need to see if others in their worship of idols in alignment with the world replace their relationship with God with such achievements. In this matter, I must condemn and rebuke them. God demands a lot regarding this. From verse 6 to verse 8, you can see there are mediums and spiritists and those who prostitute themselves with following them. God says he will turn his face against them and will cut them off from their people. And in verse 8, Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. What does it mean to teach divination? What And what does practicing sorcery mean? It means fortune-telling, astrology, even wanting to know about future events, attending lectures by others, listening to famous worldly books or discussions. All of this is considered adultery. The Bible is very clear about this. Teaching divination, practicing sorcery, wanting to know future fortunes, trends, my heart leans towards these things. God also says such people shall be cut off. But if everyone is doing it, what should I do? The key is in verse 8. We should pray. Lord, you are the one who sanctifies me, who makes me holy. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means it is the result of God continuously working within me. To be sanctified is something God keeps doing continuously. It's an ongoing process. We don't become perfect right after baptism. When you get baptized, God promises to start a project in our life. He begins to build the tabernacle. He cleanses us, washes away all our filth, changes our mindset so we can live in the kingdom of God rather than in the mindset of this world, which leads to condemnation and death. From verse 1 to verse 8, the key is our relationship with God. Today, you can truly pray, Lord, have mercy on me, shine your light off me, guide me, help me to be sanctified. I cannot do it on my own. I am easily swayed. Sometimes I prioritize my children over everything else. Sometimes I can endure the pain in my marriage because of my children. I can endure the hardships in my marriage and career for the sake of my children. Sometimes our children become our idols. This is sacrificing your children to Molech, sacrificing them to worldly gods. God, cleanse us. Give us wisdom. Teach me how to teach my children according to your word. Guide them sincerely to love and desire you, to live in your presence. Eliminate my desire for divination, sorcery, understanding worldly trends, knowing the future, Lord, have mercy on me and give me courage. If those around me also favor these things, I do not want to turn a blind eye. Oh, I won't pretend I didn't see it, Lord. This isn't my concern. Oh, that's my concern. That's their educational philosophy. It's within the education of this brother, which we don't agree with, but we shouldn't say anything either. Sin in the kingdom of God is contagious and God values this greatly. Today, we ask God for courage have this courage within us so we can bravely speak out about how to educate and guide our children in the ways of God's kingdom. Similarly, we can bravely speak out about God's laws. Starting from verse 9, it talks about family relationships. God has three ways of punishment, and these three are represented by the five offerings mentioned earlier. The sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. If it's not mentioned among these, it means these sins are against God. God says they must surely die. He says they shall be cut off. He says they shall have no descendants. This is a terrible thing, to have no descendants, because it means your name won't be recorded in the book of life, and you won't be able to inherit property in God's kingdom. It's a severe judgment, so we ask God to help us value our family relationships to learn how to relate well to our parents, relatives, friends, and even those in our households in a manner that is appropriate, holy, and sanctified. Look at verse 9. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. This cursing isn't a momentary impulse. It's the deep-seated resentment, holding in contempt, and despising one's parents. 
God says they shall surely die. Their sin shall be on, their, on them. In verse 10, committing adultery with another man's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely die. But if you look at verse 9 and 10 in the Bible, it seems there is no such punishment mentioned. It actually happened with David and Bathsheba. He wasn't put to death. So God's law is strict, uncompromising. But when a person is willing to turn back to God, seeking forgiveness for their sins, pleading for mercy and purification, God will have punishment, but he desires to save their soul, granting salvation. Do not underestimate these sins committed before God, as if God didn't enforce them, because God's mercy always surpasses his righteous judgment. We can seek God's mercy. God will punish, refine, and even discipline us in our lives, but you must believe that the strictness of God's law is to lead people back into the kingdom of his grace. From verse 1 to verse 16, as discussed in chapters 18 and 19, it all leads to death, death by burning. This is the severest judgment of God. Therefore, today, we can pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn within us before the fire of judgment, before the end-time judgment arrives. Lord, first cleanse me with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse me a spirit. Cleanse my thoughts, my intentions, my emotions, my words. There might be curses in my heart towards others, contempt for authority or lustful thoughts. There might be impure desires within me. Lord, use the burning fire of your holiness to purify me, to cleanse me, Forgive me, to pardon me for my weakness towards filthy things, even for my contempt towards relationships, or for the lustful thoughts I may have towards my closest ones. Lord, have mercy on me. You are the God who sanctifies me. Forgive me. Change me. This is what you need to pray. From verse 17 to 18, this is the second serious situation. If a man uncovers his sister's nakedness, or if a man has sexual relations with a woman during her monthly period, they will be cut off from their people. What does it mean to be cut off? It means being cut off from the grace and communion with God. Do not underestimate this matter. Many times we unknowingly commit such sins as if you can't hear, as if you can't hear God's voice, as if you can't f feel His guidance. You still attend gatherings. You participate in service. You pray along with others, but it seems like a stone dropped in water without a ripple. You need to pray about this, asking God for forgiveness and cleansing. Is it because my intimate communion with God has been interrupted? This is what is called being cut off. God's punishment has three forms. First, death. Second, being cut off. So you need to pray about this. Lord, I value my relationship with you. I value my communion with you. Have mercy on me. Help me. Let your words to me be like a conversation between friends, face to face, like you spoke to Abraham, like you spoke to Moses. Lord, speak to me today. Dwell within me. Speak to my spirit. Holy Spirit, guide me, remind me, whether through thoughts, impressions, clear words, or if one's reading the Bible. A revelation, a reminder, all of these are God's words. A sudden song, a sudden verse, seems to be confirmation from the environment. Lord, in any case, whether through dreams, visions, speak to me. Let our relationship remain close and intimate. Being cut off means our relationship with God in grace is interrupted. This is something we need to be cautious about and pray about. Third, from verse 19 to 21, here it talks about God's third form of punishment, having no children. Having no children, of course, in the context of that time, meant that they didn't produce offspring. They had no descendants. But for us today, in a spiritual sense, we need to understand what it means to have no children. It means not being listed in the book of life, not inheriting the legacy of property in Christ. It means the end of generational blessings in my life. There are no descendants to carry on the inheritance. Then you have to ask yourself, 
in my life, am I unable to shepherd anyone? Am I unable to teach someone? Am I unable to guide someone? Am I unable to preach the gospel to someone? Sometimes the punishment of having no descents is easily overlooked in today's church. This person believes in the Lord, but you'll find they bear no fruit. They still harbor jealousy, resentment, pride, old temperament, and their relationships with others remain strained, yet they bear no fruit. You'll find they can't serve, they can't preach the gospel, they can't testify to God's word, they can't shepherd, they don't, can't care. You'll also find they seem to be in the Lord and in the church, but they can't contribute publicly. This is called having no descendants. We really need to be careful. Do I bear fruit in my life? Do I bear the fruit of life, the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of shepherding? Can my life be food to nourish others, to supply others? Can my life contain some spiritual food to feed others? This is very important. Parents, you can feed your children. As leaders, pastors, elders, and ministers, our lives are to be shepherded to others. Our lives have food to feed others. This is called having descendants. Having no descendants means there's no inheritance, no continuation of legacy in me. We have no inheritance. It's a sad thing within the faith. This is God, one of God's three punishments. We must be cautious. So you'll realize chapters 18 and 19 weren't joking. Chapter 20 is really enforced. We really need to go back to the five offerings. The sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. Don't underestimate these five offerings and ignore them. They are truly calling you to align yourself with God's calling, to embrace the life sought after by God, to truly manifest in my life, to have a smooth communication with God, enjoying Him and Him enjoying me, asking for forgiveness for my sins, for the punishments and transgressions I'm committed, for conflicts in my relationships with others, seeking God's mercy, making restitution. You will find that, 1. You will have life. The matter of the death penalty will have no relevance in my life. And the second is not being cut off. It means my prayers aren't hindered. God speaks to me clearly and I understand. 3. Having descendants. To become someone with offspring, someone with inheritance, and someone who can pass on. I can testify to others. I have authority to preach the gospel, authority to teach, and authority to share God's word with substance and content. I can participate in serving, building, and nurturing. Life continually flows through me. That's what chapter 20 reminds us. So, punishment isn't God's primary objective. The execution of the death penalty in chapter 20 isn't what God most desires to see. God wants to see us separated from sin and take part in His holiness. So, grasp this point. That's what it means to t know God's people, to know His children. Only then can you act with strength. So pray and say, Lord, I want to know your heart. I want to live before you. I want to have good communion with you. I want to bear the fruit of life. Verses 22 to 25 remind us to be careful where we live. If the land doesn't reject me, it means I'm living before God. I have authority in this land. It's like where you buy a house. You have property rights, land rights, if you have the right. So wherever you live, whether in a city, a country, whether in a building or a standalone house, it's all God's guidance. The boundaries are set by God. Whether I live in the north or south, in the city or countryside, in an apartment or a separate house, it's all God granting us authority over this land. Pray this. Lord, I live before you. I pray for the purification of this land. I earnestly pray that this land may have the authority of God manifested within it. Verse 26 says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. Throughout chapter 20, God repeats this over and over. 
Be holy, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So it's not lo about looking at the laws and being afraid, Oh, God is so cruel. Many people read the Bible this way, God is so cruel. But you fail to see that God wants you to be holy. You don't see that God gives us the opportunity to repent. Through the execution of the death penalty, God is so prudent. He didn't stone the woman caught in adultery. The Lord Jesus had mercy on her. God had mercy on David with Bathsheba. You need to see that God is a God who calls us to be holy. The execution of the law is meant to show us the seriousness of sin. We need to see God's mercy and love and God's meticulous work in our lives. Verse 27 says, A man or a woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Sometimes when we criticize or remind someone or speak the truth in love or point out weak points for correction, it is calling these people to break away from sin, escaping the execution of the death penalty. God gives us authority and strength. Chapter 21 is spoken toward the priest. Chapters 21 and 22 are the requirements for the priest. Chapters 18 to 20, these three chapters are the requirements for the people. The requirements for the people are already pretty high. Now the standards for the priests are even higher. So you will see, rely on yourself, you cannot do it. Because when you read chapter 21, you will see many things that don't seem fair. Many things don't seem to care about human rights. There is a contrast. The priests with any defect cannot serve God. Oh, then how do we serve God if my skin is not good or I am disabled? My hand is not good, my speech is not good, my body is not without blemish. When you read chapter 21, you have to know there is a perfect high priest living in us so that we can be qualified. The demands of chapter 21, if you feel you cannot meet them, praise the Lord. This is an opportunity for the perfect high priest in us to change us. So you will see that chapter 21 is not about human rights or oppression, but it is about God giving us hope for the eternal new heaven and new earth. That is who I am. God has chosen me in this present age. I can have a share in this flawless kingdom of priests. Let's look at verse 1 to 3. The verse tells us to not make ourselves unclean by touching a dead body, except for close relatives. What does it mean to make oneself unclean by touching a dead body? I mean, where am I going to encounter a dead body now? Verses 1 to 3 are speaking to every Christian. Again, that is, in our interactions with people, in our relationships, we must be careful not to touch death. What does touching death mean? Sometimes when we visit people, we care for them or we preach the gospel to them. We want to befriend unbelievers, guide them to know God, or share the salvation and joy God has given us within various social media platforms. But remember, you must remind yourself that we are separate from the world. You must tell yourself that we are separate from death. Some people's lives emit death, even within the church. Some people bring death. They don't serve. They are full of complaints, criticisms, and judgments. They cannot participate in spiritual work in church or life. When we interact with these people, we must be extremely careful. Pray for Christ's life within us so we can bring life to them and lead them out of death. In the Old Testament, the priests devile themselves by what they touched. In the New Testament, this life is within us. Whoever we serve, whoever we visit, whoever we care for, and we can bring them back from life to death. This is the greatest difference between the priests of the Old and New Testaments. But these three verses remind us to be careful. If there's someone with the dead life in your relationships, we need to be cautious not to be defiled. The entire 21st chapter reminds us not to defile ourselves because we are holy priests. When dealing with interpersonal relationships, we must be careful. Verse 4-6 to six remind us to set an example. 
priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. These were practices of idol worship. During idol worship, they shaved their heads, cut their beards, and made cuttings on their bodies to signify cleansing before idols, as if to purify themselves and show self-discipline before idols. All of these were imitations of what should be done before God. Therefore, when we serve and worship God, you must be careful not to bring worldly worship practices into the church, separating from God's model. The culture of divination, such as the Taoist culture of divination, should not be brought into the Christian faith. Have to cut and chop, you must be very careful in the church. Christ's blood has already broken all curses, cleansed our mistakes. We can also make prophetic declarations, but remember, we should not participate in idol worship. We must see that it is God's guidance, the work of the Holy Spirit, and a glorious work by God. Spiritual warfare is by the blood of Christ. It is not the same as making a few declarations or reciting scriptures a few times. We live in the grace of Christ. We're in the full armor fighting against evil spirits. It's not the pattern of idolatry and false worship brought into the Christian faith. We must be careful. Verses 7 and 8 speak about our marital relationships. Why shouldn't you marry a prostitute or a defiled woman? Does this mean a divorced woman has no chance of remarriage? Do not misunderstand. What do verses 7 and 8 mean? The defiled woman and the prostitute refer to a woman who is supposed to be a member of God's people, but engages in temple prostitution. She uses her body to serve idols. She has completely departed from the faith and allows her body, her physical body, to be used by men in idolatrous worship. The prohibition for the priests to marry such women is because by doing so, they would become associated with idols and they would defile themselves. So verse 7 and 8 does not mean that divorced women cannot be married again. Rather, they refer to those who have completely departed from the faith to serve idols and allow themselves to be defiled by their physical bodies. In this context, God reminds us to be extremely cautious in marriage. So if you are not dating yet, don't have a partner yet, young men and women who are not yet married, pray earnestly for your future spouse before God. Is this girl really beautiful? Is this boy really outstanding? Wow, someone introduced this match is really suitable. You must ask yourself, I am a priest of God's kingdom. Lord, unless this person truly desires to be baptized into your name, willing to love and seek you, or else I cannot build my marriage on this foundation. You might say, there are really few brothers and sisters in the church. This is a fact. So we must strive to preach the gospel. For the person you are currently dating, if they haven't accepted Christ yet, you really need to pay the price of prayer, because in the future marriage, you are serving as the priest of God. Do not underestimate being unequally yoked in marriage. Where one believes and the other does not. How can you share blessings and misfortunes? How can you run the race to heaven together? If your current partner, your spouse-to-be, has not accepted Christ yet, you must pray earnestly before God. Lord, bless my family. Let me as a priest continually pray for my spouse. May my spouse truly live before you. Let our home become a Christ-centered household. Verse 9 mentions the dreadful consequences if a priest's daughter commits adultery. She is to be burned with fire. This daughter has departed from her father's protection and completely abandoned her father's faith to be a prostitute. God's judgment in this regard is very strict. Actually, verse 9 teaches us how to properly educate our next generation. Today, you must pray for your children. If your grandparents pray for your grandchildren, let them live devoutly and reverently before God. Let the salvation of Christ be in our homes. 
God wants to show grace to us, from fathers to sons and to future generations. Our entire family, even in the future, every child, every name is recorded in the book of life of Christ. So, I must continue to guide my children strictly to serve God. If I serve God, my children will carefully bring their children to serve God as elders, as grandparents. Our prayers are crucial. From verse 10 to 15, it also speaks about marriage relationships. Verse 16 to 24 begin to remind us severely that whatever has a defect shall not offer food to God. You will find there what is blind, lame, disfigured, or deformed. Deformed might mean having an extra finger or toe, broken feet, broken hands, hunchbacks, or dwarfs, or those with eye defects, which at that time meant not seeing clearly, perhaps nearsightedness or blindness, having growths, scabs, or damaged testicles. Actually, in the original Hebrew text, this man was unable to reproduce. There might have been some damage to their reproductive organs. All these could not offer food to God. Wow, wouldn't this be discrimination in terms of human rights? You might think, how could this God full of love discriminate against those with physical disabilities? No, here it is telling us that among the descendants of Aaron, God has extremely high demands for someone who serves God. They must be flawless and perfect. Today, which one of us is without blemish? But we all have flaws. If we continually offer ourselves to God, consecrating ourselves before the sanctifying presence of the Lord, He sanctifies us. He sanctifies us, and He sanctifies us. So it's not about the outward appearance entirely. We've talked about the sacrificial animal skin. Looking at the skin, it appears perfect. Similarly, when people look at us, they see our outward appearance. But God completely changes our outward appearance. God covers us. We clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. My outward appearance is Jesus Christ. Inside me is the life of Christ. I also clothe myself with Jesus Christ. When people see me, they see Christ living within me. When people see me, they see the life of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be without blemish. So today, you can also pray for one thing. Lord, I have flaws. I might be hunched short, have broken feet or hands, be blind, have defects like extra fingers or toes, damaged testicles, or even this person. I know I'm not qualified to serve for myself. But Lord, you can cover me in your presence, just like we talked about earlier. Everything in the tabernacle was carefully covered by the curtain. God envelops me entirely. I am encompassed by God, therefore I can come to serve God. My exterior needs the Lord. My interior needs the Lord. But God also shows mercy. Verse 22 says, God's food, whether holy or most holy, can be eaten by those with defects. Those with disabilities will desecrate the sanctuary of God, but then it adds a sentence, I'm the Lord who makes them holy. So, dear family, today we must eat of the holy things of God. You must continually eat and drink Jesus Christ, continually worship, praise, read the Bible, Pray, spend time in God's presence, and wait. Don't complain or criticize in every difficulty. Learn to praise and give thanks. In your life, when you are healthy, participate in serving the church. Serve in the church. Repreach the gospel in your life. Be a glorious witness in the workplace. Carefully manage your marriage and also carefully teach your children. Fear God, hunger for God, and God will sanctify us. God will guide us step by step. The disabilities in our lives, external disabilities, and shortcomings in my neighborhood even the trauma and pain brought to my soul from my childhood, all these weaknesses are in Christ Jesus. God uses His glory to cover me. 
I can offer food, eat food, and become a priest who supplies life. So, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray for the weaknesses in our lives, for our marriages, for our children, even for the pain and trauma we experience during our growth, and for all the pressures we face in the workplace. Today we can pray, Lord, I am a priest. You have called me to be sanctified and given me the ability, the grace. Wherever I go, wherever I am, I will make that place holy. The people I come into contact with, I will turn them from death to life, so that every person around me encounters Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear families, we hope that you enjoy the Bible race as much as we do. If you are willing to volunteer to translate the original Chinese teaching into English or assist with video editing, please email service at 360sunrise.com. Thank you.